listening to right where you are sitting now. Hi there, welcome to episode 37 of Sitting Now, the podcast for the website sittingnow.co.uk or .com, whichever one takes your fancy. Uh, I'm Ken Eakins and I'm joined by no one today, I'm afraid. It's just me. Uh, <laughs> we have a guest, obviously, but uh, it's just me doing the interviewing and the talking today, so I'll keep it brief. Um, we have Bob Curran on again. Uh, he's a good friend of the show. Uh, we always enjoy his books. He's a mythologist stroke psychologist from Ireland. But before we talk about him, let's uh, let's have some adverts. Eerie Radio, opening the door to the unknown. Listener feedback. Really looking forward to the new episodes. So keep up with your work, guys. Thanks. Interviews. There's so many movies, so many documentaries, even books that come out that have factual information in it that maybe, you know, this is a gradual way of, of kind of educating the public to as to what's going on. Visit Erie Radio at www.erieradio.com. Excuse me, I've got some information I'd like to share with you. Did you know that 26 billion pickles are packed each year in the U.S.? And that's about nine pounds of pickles per person. More than half the cucumbers grown in the U.S. are made into pickles. Hey, pickle boy, let's talk pickles. The Podcast Pickle, that is. The Podcast Pickle is your resource for all the latest and greatest podcasts found in cyberspace with thousands of podcasts listed and more added every day. Here's some of the podcasts that you'll find at podcastpickle.com. <laughs> Geek Foo Action Grip. Beachcast. Speechless. Mad Kane. This Week in Tech. Warrentown Talk. NASCAR Zone. Shelly the Republican. A Voice from Eden. Jimmy McBean. Five Minutes with Wichita. Cinema Playground. Offbeat. The Logo Factory. The Sandy Warriors. Exit 50. This and That with Jeff and Pat. Thoughts on Psychiatry. Web Hosting Show. Merlin from Berlin. Random Cast. Jazz with Tiger. American Road Trip Show. The Drew M Podcast. The Slam Isle Podcast. Forgotten Tales. The Zencast. XboxStation.net. How to Do Stuff. Now, Pickle has a whole new meaning. PodcastPickle.com, the world's best podcast directory. Okay, and we're back. Um, So today's guest is Dr. Bob Curran. He's a recurring guest on the show, like I said earlier. He's uh, spoken to us in the past about zombies and, uh, and vampires. So uh, today we're going to be talking to him about werewolves. Uh, Bob's, a, like I said earlier, also a psychologist and a, a, a kind of mythologist, if you will, a historian, a, a purveyor of strange folklore and a really, really good storyteller as well. He's great. We love having him on the show. So today we're going to be talking to him about werewolves, uh, something that's, again, has always interested me. <laughs> I like this is one of the you know, good reasons to have him on the show is that I get to kind of discuss these kind of childhood things that I used to love and uh, one of the interesting things about Bob um, when he comes on the show is the way he maps these kind of psychological roots into the uh, into the mythologies he discusses and that's one thing we're certainly going to be talking about today I hope I'd also like to talk to him briefly about the green man I know we briefly mentioned it in an earlier show but I've always wanted to just you know get a quick look at the uh, origins of that so hopefully I'll get a chance to ask him that but anyway let's roll on to the interview now with uh, Dr. Bob Curran and I'll speak to you after that bye bye
Hi, uh, Dr. Bob Curran. Thanks a lot for coming back on our show again. This is the third time I think we've had you on now. So uh, how have you been and wh- have, what have you been up to since we last spoke to you, which I think was about zombies? Oh, uh, you were talking to me about zombies. Since then, I have written uh, a couple of other books, Ken, and it's always very, very nice to talk to you. Um, we have, I've written a new book on werewolves, uh, which has been, uh, dare I say, going to the top of the American independent bestsellers list. Ah, excellent. Simply because of the Wolfman film. Which is uh, which has come out. Uh, working on a, a new book. Uh, I have a new book coming out um, from Career um, on dark fairies, and another one coming out. I'm finishing it off now on man-made monsters, which is looking at Frankenstein. Those are for Career. We're looking at. Uh, I'm doing some other books for other publishers. I've. Uh, proofreading a thing on American folklore and um, uh, uh, Celtic folklore. And I have a new book coming out on the history of the papacy. Oh, busy. <laughs> oh, I've, been, I've been busy and I've been doing a lot of, of other stuff with community relations and stuff like that. Ah, excellent. Okay, so um, one thing, uh, I, I suppose we've got quite a lot to cover this show then. <laughs> I think oh, I suppose... let's, let's get to it, Ken. Excellent, excellent. So uh, I think the first thing we should go into is werewolves. I mean, I, I assume that you got into werewolves because you've already studied vampires and zombies. I mean, was this a natural progression? Well, I suppose it was, uh, Ken. Although, to be perfectly honest, uh, the idea of werewolves uh, has always fascinated me. And whenever I suggested to career um, a new page... Um, they uh, jumped because uh, simply because of the film which is coming out, uh, which was coming out at the time, and that was the Wolfman, and um, I think the book is tied into that. Uh, but the, the as I say, the subject always interested me simply because um, part of my degree uh, is in psychology, and I have always looked at the idea of the werewolf as something which is inside us. Uh, one of the questions I always ask myself uh, is not whether these things exist or not. They may or they may not do. Um, but why do people want to believe in them? Mm. And uh, the question which was posed for me was, why do people want to believe in werewolves? And part of the answer, I think, is that because in each and every one of us, uh, I think there is uh, a very primitive, um, and I'm using that word advisedly, a very primitive um, element which is always trying to struggle against the mor- the mores or the strictures of civilization, and that is exemplified in our brain, in our minds by the werewolf. So we're looking at the werewolf as part of ourselves, actually, if if you like. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I know there's been a lot of work done in the psychological field of looking at what the phenomena isn't there. I mean, I'm just thinking. There I'm has, just... Uh, but I think it goes even way back to uh, to early times. Hmm. Uh, if I can explain, hmm. uh, when men uh, were first hunting uh, the great hominids who were our forebears, they competed with the wolves for uh, game and particularly in times when weather was harsh. Now, the wolf is a superb killing and hunting machine. 
uh, it is swift, it is strong, it is highly intelligent. And in many uh, aspects, the wolf um, was the same as early men. It was a social animal. It hunted in packs. It had a, a structure to itself, a social structure, uh, with pack leaders and, uh, and things like that. So men looked at wolves and said, wouldn't it be great if we were a bit like that? They were prob- the wolves were probably better hunters than, than our early forefathers. So they said, wouldn't it be great if we could be uh, like that? So they dressed uh, in wolf skins and things like that to take on the attributes of the wolf and hoped that uh, almost by a process like osmosis or uh, some of the powers of the wolf would come into them. Now, we know this because uh, in northern France, in the Pyrenees, uh, there's a cavern uh, on which there is a, a wall drawing. The cavern is uh, in an area called Le Trois Frères. Uh, and the drawing is known as Le Sorcier uh, de Trois Frères. Uh, pardon my French pronunciation. But, uh, the, it shows a figure which is basically human but has um, the, the tail and um, he, a, a crown, if you like, of a wolf. Hmm. So uh, it is probably a shaman who dressed up and called down the wolf's spirits to ensure good hunting. So later on it became, well, why can't we also call down the, the, the wolf's spirit? Why can't the wolf take possession of us? And perhaps that was the origin of the idea of the werewolf. We certainly know that was used in battle, but not particularly from wolves, but uh, from bears, which were also uh, admired. And therefore, uh, soldiers who put on the bar sark, um, in places like Norway and Denmark, uh, the bear shirt, and that was a shirt made of bear hide, took on the attributes of the bear. They were f- uh, ferocious, they were strong, uh, uh, they, they, they were quick and they were intelligent. And they made good soldiers. And from that we get the word berserk or berserker. These warriors were known as berserkers. Mm. And we do know that groups of them fought um, in many ancient battles. For instance, in the 9th century uh, in Norway, they fought for King, Far- uh, King Harald Fairhair, uh, who was trying to unite the Norwegian peoples uh, from the, the various kingdoms, uh, which made up early Norway. So you have these berserkers, you have these hunters, and this remains somewhere I think, in the back of our minds. A civilization has, uh, we, and the culture that we now believe ourselves to be in, has placed restrictions on, on ourselves. And um, uh, we, we now consider ourselves very cultured and very civilized. But somewhere deep within our, our psyche uh, is the crouching beast, uh, the hunter. And I think that is the origin of uh, uh, and the fascination of the werewolf. Mm. Jeez, um, well, I was looking um, through the contents. I was saying to you earlier that we were sent the wrong book, actually. But uh, we were okay. <laughs> looking through the contents of um, the book on Amazon. And it says, uh, 
and it, it, you know, it lets you look at some of the pages um, prior yeah. to reading the book. And uh, one bit that interested me was this, uh, the section about Romulus and Remus. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about that. Yes. Uh, many, you see, the, the idea of the wolf coming on from, from what I've just said hmm. uh, suggested a strength and um, great power. For instance, many early Anglo-Saxons and uh, many early Normans incorporated uh, the in England incorporated the term wolf in their name. Mm. Um, at one time, uh, there was a, a bishop werewolf um, in England. Mm. There were also two bishops called Wolfstan. Mm. Now that. Um, symbolized great power. So a number of the great heroes, for instance, um, Romulus and Remus, whom you've mentioned, mm. were attributed to having been raised by wolves uh, because this gave them greater and almost supernatural status. You also have exactly the same uh, 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 stories in uh, very early Babylonian um um, legends. For instance, uh, there are references to it in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is probably one of the oldest uh, story texts as we have. But um, the wolf, uh, or being raised by wolves, or having some connection with wolves, uh, give the person greater power, uh, perhaps even greater intelligence, and certainly greater strength. Um, than uh, ordinary people had. So it became having the name wolf or being raised by wolves give you uh, a certain status among the early peoples because, as I say, the wolf was probably so admired by our, our early ancestors, uh, our early hunting ancestors, uh, that it, um, by taking the name wolf, they could take on some of the attributes mm. of the wolf which they admired. Yeah, sort of inv invoking the wolf almost. Absolutely. Um, it, it gives the idea of the calling down of the wolf spirit. Mm. Uh, and if the wolf was so admired by the early hunters, mm. then uh, it was admired even within uh, rudimentary, if you like, civilizations. And, and as civilizations began to grow, uh, these uh, attributes stayed with them and gave almost status. For instance, in medieval times, uh, as late as, uh, as the 12th and 13th centuries, mm. you're getting the, the idea of the werewolf not as a ravening creature or a nasty creature, which we see in the films today, mm. but as a noble creature. Mm. And those who are changed into uh, wolves are kind and wise and loyal. Uh, for instance, in the 12th century Lays, or a series of uh, prose poems mm. written by Marie de France uh, at the court of Henry II. Mm. Uh, Marie de France was a, a woman who wrote uh, a series of poems, uh, and she was probably related to the king, um, Henry II, mm. in some shape or form. But she wrote a series of poems, the most famous uh, of which was Bliss uh which was about a, uh, a knight 
who was changed into the form of a wolf, usually by the guiles of a woman. I don't know what that says about women, but uh, usually by the evil guiles of a woman so that they could take lovers. They changed their husbands into wolves. Uh, And uh, he becomes a, a, a noble wolf and manages to save the king, and the king reveal, uh, reveals to the king who he is, and uh, the woman and her lover are um, arrested and executed. And um, the wolf becomes a man once again. She has done this through magic, uh, and has hidden his clothes. And once he puts on his clothes again, he becomes civilized. And uh, that was a common theme in... Uh, in medieval drama, um, when men were naked, they had the power to change into wolves and, and things like that. Mm. So um, one thing that's always interested me as well with uh, the study of werewolves, I suppose, is the appearance of werewolves in classical literature. I was wondering, do, uh, do you uh, look at that at all in your book? Or? Well, we, look, we look at classical literature, uh, yes, and uh, I've, I've mentioned about uh, the uh, layers of Marie de France, but mm. there was a whole number of other. For instance, the oldest werewolf tale, would you believe, or the oldest written werewolf tale that we know of, comes from Ireland. Mm, interesting. And is written by a monk. Uh, it was written in 1185. And it is by Geraldus Cambrensius, Gerald of Wales, who came to Ireland um, around about 1185 with uh, the then Prince John, who was the son of Henry II, and overlord of Ireland. Mm. And um, Geraldus, or Gerald, had a a number of kinsmen living over in Ireland uh, who became the Fitzgeralds. Uh, And they told him a story about a, were, uh, a number of speaking wolves. Um, they told him uh, 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 the story basically is that a monk is traveling to uh, on some business to County Meath. Hmm. And he comes along the borders of a, a, an ecclesiastical area called Ossery. And uh, he camps for the night. And uh, uh, while he's camping, a wolf approaches his uh, camp and uh, asks him to come with it. And he's greatly taken because the wolf uh, speaks and because he regards the wolf as ferocious, but the wolf is very kind and says, look, he says, I am a member of a clan uh, which the clan is given as Clan Alton, who were cursed by uh, another saint called Saint Nechton. Uh, who was very irascible, and uh, they had crossed him in some way, and he changed two uh, of their members into wolves for a period of seven years. Then they regained uh, human form, and uh, two others took their place of the same clan. Uh, The the old man and the old woman had been changed into wolves, and uh, the woman had been killed, or uh, had been, sorry, had been wounded by a huntsman uh, firing an arrow at her. And he wanted the priest to come and give her the last rites. She was dying. Mm. And uh, the priest did that. And um, the wolf guides him to the edge of the forest and makes several prophecies about the nature of uh, the English occupation of Ireland. And... um, 
the monk goes on his way promising to return. Now, that was a story which was told as fact. Uh, it was told to Geraldus that it was only about two or three years previous to his arrival. Hmm. Uh, Geraldus had the unfortunate um, gift, if you like, uh, of believing that everything, everything he was told. Uh, and so he records this as history. Whether or not it is history or not, we don't know, but it's, uh, it's probably an old legend which was passed down. Um, Geraldus also uh, writes about uh, other strange creatures which um, the Fitzgeralds are believed to have seen. For instance, a man-ox. Uh, and that was brought to the court of one of his kinsmen. Uh, it was probably uh, some sort of uh, greatly deformed individual, but it was counted as a man ox. Oh, um, so you're getting all these beginning to filter into literature, and you're uh, looking at uh, the old wonder tales, which are passed down uh, through the medieval period uh, by a number of writers. Uh, and you have things like courtiers' trifles and um, uh, things uh, and the writings of people like William of Newbury uh, and uh, people like that about strange creatures and about strange people. Hmm. It's interesting. So one other thing that always seems to um, happen with these kind of uh, mythological creatures, I suppose, or these these kind of you know, legends, are they seem to have they seem to develop a really wide geographic spread, don't they? In terms of the um, you know the way that it's just interesting how they seem to pass around the world into different cultures. Absolutely, uh, I would think that possibly all uh, there are two reasons for that. Possibly uh, there was much more travel than we tend to imagine. Uh, for instance, monks went on pilgrimages. People went on pilgrimages, people traveled for business, and I think there was probably much more um, um, travel than we thought. Uh, now, people coming back from those travels uh, began to tell w wonderful stories, uh, perhaps to describe the, the places that they had been through or the things that they had seen. Uh, for instance, they talked about men who could, uh, who had ears so long that they could lie down on one and use the other as a blanket. Hmm. Um, now, you may think that very, very silly, but there, uh, there were uh, tribes, and we do know because their statues survive on places like Easter Island, who had incredibly long ears, and that was done because wits uh, and. Uh, such uh, things were put uh, to lengthen the lobes of their ears, which may have been status among them. Mm. Um, so uh, uh, now they may not have wonderful, uh, wonderful ears that they could use as blankets, but uh, this became exaggerated in the telling. Mm. Uh, Back to werewolves. For instance, it was believed that somewhere, let's say in Ethiopia, there was a dog-headed race, or in the mountains of India, there was a race of what were called dog heads. Uh, these were men with human bodies, but with the heads of dogs. And whenever they spoke, uh, they used bar-bar. Hmm. Uh, and uh, that is where we get the word barbarian from. Um, so uh, 
these uh, these people were supposed to be living somewhere in the east. It later became a term of abuse, doghead, for people uh, like the Saracens whom the Crusaders fought. But uh, when men traveled to the east, uh, they had a similar story about dogheads, but the dogheads lived in the west. Uh, so you're, you're getting people's perceptions uh, from old travelers' tales, from uh, things which they don't really understand, uh, and descriptions begin to circulate. The second thing is that uh, in many of these old tales, not necessarily from werewolf tales, uh, but from other tales as well, uh, that many of uh, of the things which they experienced, for example, misfortune or something uh, in their own personal lives, are universal. Mm. And people began to look for explanations for them. And some people came up with the same explanations. They, uh, for instance, um, in Africa. Uh, yeah, I might say to you, Ken, um, you've gone up a ladder six times. And nothing has happened to you. I have went up a ladder once, and I have fallen off and broken my leg. Mm. Why did it happen to uh, me and not to Ken? The exa- uh, and the uh, answer, which is a universal one, uh, is that somebody may be working against you, mm. or that you have offended evil spirits, and they have done this. Um, so uh, some of the answers which have come up tend to be pretty universal because the, the, the misfortunes or whatever befalls people is pretty universal as well. Mm. Uh, people experience hurt, people experience death, people experience uh, misfortune, uh, people experience joy, people experience uh, pleasure, uh, and uh, the responses to those, because we're all human, is pretty universal. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, one thing that's uh, I've just been reading something uh, online quickly before I spoke to you is that it seems to uh, there seems to have been a really early sighting of uh, werewolves, or at least the you know the idea of werewolves in the, in the Americas, uh, the early Americas as well during the Norse population colonization rather of American uh, of America. Do you did you write about that at all in your book? Or? Well, you see, people say do these things exist, and I say they, they may or they may not. Uh, and uh, we do know that evolution, if you choose to believe in evolution, and I have to be careful because not everybody does, <laughs> but um, if you tend to believe in evolution, then evolution has taken some pretty strange turns. Yeah. For example, we know we're not the only form of human yeah. uh, who has ever lived. We have Neanderthals uh, who were... A form of human, but were not exactly like us. Uh, very recently, uh, they have, uh, within the last two or three weeks, they have discovered another type of human somewhere in northern Germany, uh, who were uh, probably cohabiting and perhaps mating alongside the, the Homo sapiens, from which we are descended, or the Neanderthals, uh, uh, and probably interbreeding with them. So you're, you're getting all sorts of queer things, and, uh, and uh, evolution has turned up all sorts of, uh, of things. So you are finding all sorts of evolutionary twists. 
The second thing is that certain individuals have uh, maybe went off and lived in uh, in the wild and uh, have taken on the attributes of animals. We do know that uh, there uh, are things like feral children, and um, we have come across them as uh, late as the 1920s, uh, in India, where uh, two uh, girls, Amela and Camilla, were uh, brought in in northern India and began to um, exhibit um, the characteristics of some animals, uh, particularly wolves. Amala and Kamala, for instance, they were discovered in 1926. I'm just looking it up here by the Reverend Joseph uh, Lal Singh. Mm. Uh, who wrote about them in the Calcutta Statesman. Uh, so they, uh, we do have feral uh, children. The other thing is, uh, and we begin to look at uh, things like the French werewolf trials at the end of the 1500s and the beginning of the 1600s in parts of France, we begin to see that those who were accused were largely uh, those people who lived on the fringes of society, people, uh, people like Gilles Garnier, uh, the hermit of St. Bono um, in the Dole region, uh, who lived uh, on, uh, away uh, on his own. Um, well, he had his wife, but uh, he lived in, uh, in, in the woods mm. and uh, was accused of being a werewolf. And we also suspect that there were, uh, that, uh, or at least I do, that uh, cannibalism was much more widespread than we are inclined to believe in earlier times. Mm. Um, uh, people who were living away on the periphery of society, uh, in the thick woods or uh, in uh, remote mountains, uh, during cold uh, periods, may well have resorted to cannibalism. Now, we do know that in certain uh, remote societies, cannibalism uh, continued, uh, and this is in Europe, into the 1600s. Uh, whenever peri- uh, winters were severe, and let's say mountain passes or deep woodlands were cut off by snow, um, that uh, perhaps whenever old people died, they were not buried, but finished up in the communal stockpot. So, and we do know that as late as the 1800s, that in parts of Ireland, during the Great Potato Famine, uh, 1845 to 1852, uh, that there were instances of cannibalism in remote villages uh, in parts of Ireland. Um, simply because the population there were starving. Um, so all these things begin to feed into types of werewolf myth, types of werewolf creature. You have um, perhaps another form of human, and we talk about the Yeti and, and things like that. Mm. Now that uh, the, the Yeti could well exist, but around uh, these things have become an accretion of legend and myth. You have people who are living on the periphery of society who are become scapegoats for society's ills, uh, and uh, you have uh, feral people who, who may well be living. So you get all sorts of reports of werewolves. Uh, it is simply the interpretation 
uh, as to what these uh, creatures or people and or people are. Hmm. Did you find that, um, obviously you've done some research into vampires, you've written a book about that as well, which is very good. Um, Do you ever find any parallels between werewolves and, uh, werewolf myth and vampire myth? Well, uh, once again, I come back to the the, uh, question I I first posed. I mean, what, uh, it is not whether these creatures exist or not, but what role do they fulfill? Why do we need to believe in them? Hmm. And the uh, answer to the werewolf, or the answer to the vampire, is something the same as the werewolf. Remember that I said that the werewolf uh, addressed a, a, a very deep hunter uh, within uh, ourselves. The idea of the vampire addresses another fundamental question. And the question is, what would it be like to live forever? Hmm. Yeah. What would it be like not to die? Because death is a great mystery. Uh, it is the last great mystery. Nobody knows what happens after death. Um, so, uh, apart from, uh, you can tell it in the religious context, but nobody really knows. Mm. Um, so, uh, the, the question of the vampire is, what is it like to live forever? What is it like, let's say, to be forever young? Would you want, could you be like that? Mm. And the a vampire addresses that. Uh, and it's interesting because the vampire is now becoming a sort of teenage icon with things like Twilight uh, and uh, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it is what is like, and what is it like if if we live forever and be perpetually young? Uh, so, uh, per, uh, in answer to your question, the parallels are, lie in what. Um, the perceptions and the questions that uh, both of these things address. Uh, Certain people say that uh, uh, a vampire is uh, in death has been a werewolf in life, uh, and that becomes an old piece of folklore and and, and stuff like that. Uh, So you're getting uh, this built into a sort of myth pattern. But basically, what the two uh, ideas address are very, very fundamental questions. Hmm. I've always noticed as well with um, these kinds of things when you have to to become kind of invincible, or, or you know, to kind of have um, everlasting life or immortality. It's almost like a given that you have to have a curse of some sort. <laughs> I don't know well, if that's, well, well, that's quite true. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, uh, gradually, uh, I mean, uh, w- w- uh, th- these things have evolved. Would you really like to live forever? Mm. Uh, because uh, it, it, it would be it would become very boring. And you're getting um, things like that in the sort of languid vampires of Anne Rice and stuff who are uh, who are stuck um, living forever and uh, become very very bored. So that becomes a sort of curse. The werewolf uh, actually started out as a noble creature, and uh, in the French werewolf trials, it became a sort of diabolic thing in which men could transform themselves into wolves for evil purposes. Then later on, uh, and in the 18th um, century, as <coughs> excuse me, people uh, and doctors, for instance, Johann Wehr, began to explore the notion of the werewolf. Uh, and as a psychiatric problem, 
Uh, and there has been a, a lot written on uh, the psychology of the werewolf. Uh, they began to look at uh, the werewolf simply as a victim, a man who could not, or a woman who could not control their urges. Uh, and so the notion of the victim and the notion of the curse, as you rightly say, uh, comes to the fore. And uh, the, the films in Hollywood have latched onto this. So you're getting Lon Chaney Jr. Mm. as uh, a man who's terrified of the moon coming out because the moon will turn him into um, a werewolf. It's interesting. The notion of the, of the moon is interesting because the, uh, uh, the notion of the moon fulfills two um, uh, aspects. The first one was that, uh, and we talked about hunting uh, and mm. the werewolf. Yeah. The first one uh, is that the moon was uh, a symbol of Diana, uh, who was the great huntress. And uh, she was able to turn men into hunting dogs. Uh, the second thing was that uh, from about 1500, uh, the late 1500s and the early 1600s, when uh, French and German um, physicians began to look at some of the werewolf cases which had occurred in France and began to posit ideas that they might stem from mental conditions, uh, noted that uh, the rays of the full moon began to affect people in strange ways. Uh, indeed, uh, our word lunatic or lunacy mm. comes from the French, uh, la lune, the moon, because it was thought that the moon affected uh, behaviors in certain ways. So um, the notion of the victim, the notion of the man who could not control himself uh, or, the, or the person who could not control themselves, um, uh, became paramount. And as you quite rightly say, it becomes almost a curse. You live forever, you become bored, uh, you become languid, uh, or else you cannot control the change into the, the ravening beast. Mm. So when do you think um, the kind of uh, the the story of the werewolf moved from I guess, legend to kind of popular culture and wh why do you think that it, it took on the kind of um, the kind of image that it did? Well, uh, from about um, the, late, uh, the late 1400s, the werewolf began to move. You remember that I said that during medieval times it was looked at as almost a noble beast. Mm. Uh, in 1484, um, a great book came out. The church released a great book. It was the Malleus Maleficarum. It was written by Jacobus Springer and Heinrich Kramer, uh, two inquisitors. Um, Kramer had been chief inquisitor in the Austrian Turl. Um, and uh, it was a manual for witch hunters. The church was in a fearful state. And Pope Innocent VIII mm. determined to pull it together by forging a common enemy which the church could fight. And the uh, common enemy which he chose was witchcraft. So he got Springer and Kramer to write this witch hunter's book. And one of the things which witches could do was to change themselves into the guise of animals, particularly a wolf or a crow or a, a black cat. Mm. And uh, gradu uh, But uh, that began a, a, a 
a subtle change in the psyche of communities that there was a witch living among them who could uh, transform themselves. That provoked much of the French witchcraft or uh, the, the French werewolf trials, and werewolf, uh, the notion of werewolf became inextricably linked with witchcraft. Later on, uh, after the, uh, there was a spate of werewolf trials in, in France and parts of Germany, hmm. the, uh, a number of um, uh, physicians came forward. For example, uh, Dr. Johannes Weyer, who said, hold on a minute, look at the people you're trying. These are people who have all sorts of things wrong with them who have been brought up in, in odd ways. The, 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 the uh, case he cited was in 1603. Jean Grenier, who was tried. Now, Grenier had, had a, uh, an, an awful uh, upbringing. Uh, it is possible he was sexually abused by his father. Um, he had a mother, a uh, stepmother, whom he didn't get on with. Uh, and uh, he, w- he was a strange character. We would uh, class him as having a personality disorder today. Vare recognized that and said, um, hold on a minute, maybe there's something else here uh, which we could have a look at. Um, and uh, he set up a, 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 a term of thinking which began to... Uh, find resonances among uh, a, a, a number of other mm-hmm. um, doctors. And so gradually you're beginning to get the notion of the, uh, the wolf man as victim, and the man who cannot control his urges, and that uh, has gone into modern psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hollywood has also picked up on this yeah. uh, because it's very dramatic. The man turning into a wolf. Uh, the, the, or a wolf-like creature. He, in many cases, he doesn't actually turn into an actual wolf, uh, but he turns into a wolf-like creature and goes on, on, on the rampage. Now, that is good Hollywood um, fare. And if you can link it in with a whole number of other things, for instance, the full moon, the silver bullet, which uh, doesn't appear in Romany lore, lore at all, uh, that's uh, an invention of Hollywood, mm. uh, and, the, uh, original, uh, and the invention of the screenwriters of the first um, Wolfman around the, the 1940s. Mm-hmm. So that's being built up, and it is feeding on uh, people's deepest perceptions, it is feeding on people's fears, it is feeding on, uh, it's feeding on people's um, uh, ambivalence towards themselves. So. Uh, you trip along to see either a vampire or a werewolf or a zombie, whatever turns you on, because they're all looking at uh, at fundamental questions. Sorry, I'm speaking as a, as a psychiatrist here. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're looking at fundamental questions uh, which are uh, deep within each and every one of us. So uh, it's, it's a mixture of entertainment and deep uh, psychological perceptions. Kind of allegory as well, kind of thing. Oh, it's, uh, it's certainly an allegory, yes. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we're looking at ourselves uh, against, side against a civilization, if you want to call it that. Mm. Okay, so why do, what, this is one thing that's always kind of um, intrigued me, I suppose, is why are vampires and werewolves 
often pitted together do you think in like in stories especially in modern stories it seems i am not 100 percent sure i i suspect it's good entertainment I mean, you can ask yourself why the. I mean, you have a film like Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, mm. uh, 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 and things like that. What you get are are two uh, uh, very great icons. So Hollywood will pit them to, uh, or, or writers or whoever, and you're getting the world. Uh, I'm trying to think of was it the Underworld uh, series in mm. which werewolves and vampires. Uh, or pitted against each other, um, but uh, yeah, it's good reading. It's good entertainment. Yes. Uh, uh, people say to me, you know, if, uh, if a werewolf fist a vampire, who would win? Uh, and it answers that question. <laughs> um, I, I think it's good entertainment. It's it's a logical step along the entertainment road, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, uh, it draws in the money, uh, so that people uh, people will come and see them. Okay. So one thing, obviously, we're going to have to let you go fairly soon because uh, we've had you on for a long time now. Um, <laughs> no problem. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing I've always wanted to talk to you about because I know you've written a book about the subject, which is the Green Man. Yep. Um, what? Exactly. I, I've, I was in Cornwall recently. I went to the Witchcraft Museum there. To, I've always wanted to check it out in Bos- Boscastle. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, everywhere I looked around, there were these uh, green men, kind of, um, uh, I guess, I don't know what you call them, really, like gargoyles, I suppose, almost, you know, these things. That, uh, yeah. What, I assume there's some kind of history in that. <laughs> sure you've there, there is. Uh, and once again, it addresses a very fundamental question. Uh, the green man is actually a, a, a very, very ancient fertility symbol and, and mm. the symbol of resurrection. Uh, and um, uh, perceptions like that. Uh, And it addresses um, very fundamental things, going right the way back. Uh, Men became very aware of the seasons. Uh, They split the year possibly into two. Uh, uh, And that was the summer and the winter. Mm. Uh, The summer was when everything grew and came back. Uh, the winter was when everything was dead and the ground was hard. Now, they asked themselves, why should this be? Why was it that the sun grew very low in the, in the sky uh, during the winter time and then burst again to its uh, full uh, intensity during the summer months? Mm. Uh, and the answer that they came out uh, with was that, that the sun was a living being like ourselves. And that uh, from time to time, the sun died and came back again. And you get this in all sorts of old legends. Uh, for instance, you get it in the, in the ancient Greeks with per, uh, Persephone going to the underworld for, uh, and uh, the, being brought back, uh, provided she had not eaten anything in the underworld. Now, she had eaten a number of pomegranate seeds. Mm. So uh, a deal was struck that um, they, uh, that she went back for six months when the ground uh, when the ground was hard and she took uh, she took the sun with her, if you like, mm. and the uh, and winter sat in, um, uh, and you get this in a whole number of legends. 
particularly in the Celtic legends, where you get uh, the notion uh, of the king. Now, a king in ancient Celtic times was the embodiment of his people and of his environment. Mm. So, for instance, no Celtic king could rule if he had a blemish, because that reflected into the land and into his people. Mm. For instance, in ancient Ireland, Khan of the Hundred Battles had to give up the throne uh, whenever he lost an eye in a battle, because that was a facial blemish. So uh, they could not. So you get the idea that the king dies uh, and uh, reemerges again and is resurrected in the spring. And he dies in the, in the winter and is resurrected in the spring. Yeah. And the symbol of the resurrection is the green figure, the, the face of the green man, um, the, the symbol of the old king who has died uh, for, uh, for the winter to, and uh, the resurrection of the new king. So you're looking at a very ancient fertility symbol. Come back to what we said earlier. This was the experience for uh, a number of people across the world uh, because the uh, uh, humans, uh, human perception was pretty much universal. And the, uh, the green man, or something like him, appears in a number of cultures, even as far away as Java. Uh, so you're looking at an ancient symbol of both life, and which embodies both life and death. And... Uh, uh, talks about fertility, talks about resurrection, uh, 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 and talks about the coming of a, 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 a new era. It reminds Actually, me a little bit of... Uh, oh, sorry. It's translated into a Christian uh, belief with mm. the death and resurrection. Sorry, I interrupted you there. Oh, no, no, I was going to say, it, it, it just reminded me a little bit of um, of the ancient Egyptian uh, Ra and I can't remember who the other god is now. The kind of it, uh, you, you have Horus and, uh, and uh, the, the sun gods uh, uh, who are uh, uh, emerging once again. Yeah. Uh, but yes, you have it in ancient. Uh, you have it in ancient Egypt. You have it in ancient Greece. You have it uh, in ancient Britain. Uh, very much, and possibly because I'm living on top of it, you have it actually in ancient Ireland as well. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so um, I was quite interested in some of your new projects, actually, as well. Um, what kind of uh, stuff you're going to be bringing out for us in the near future? Yeah. Um, I think one of them you said was that the you were looking at the kind of comparisons between Celtic and American folk folklore. American folklore tends to be a whole mixture of stuff, um, uh, of which Celtic um, folklore is a part. Um, we have. Um, uh, um, sort of German. Uh, we have um, Italian uh, folklore. All mix. Uh, we certainly have Spanish folklore. All mixed in. So you have a, a very rich, uh, rich mix. But in certain parts, for instance, among the in the Appalachians, where uh, Scots, uh, Irish um, settlers um, were uh, proliferated. Uh, you're getting uh, some traits. For instance, you're getting the, the notion of the wise woman. Uh, and I'm looking, for example, at um, people in Maryland and, and things like that. But you're also getting uh, in Tennessee, 
you're getting the notion of the wise woman, uh, the granny woman. Now, uh, my own grandmother was what was called a granny woman because um, in Ireland, uh, because she was the woman who uh, my grandmother had had um, a, a background in nursing. Mm. And uh, she was the woman who attended at births when no doctor would come. And certainly in parts of Ireland where I grew up, uh, some of the doctors were men and should not attend at births because a birth was a woman's thing. So my grandmother was brought in because she had uh, a rudimentary notion of midwifery. Mm. Uh, she also laid uh, what was called laying out. That was whenever people de- uh, died, she washed them and laid them out. Mm. And you're getting exactly that same thing among the granny women of the Appalachian Mountains in places like Tennessee and parts of North Carolina. And you're getting all sorts of folk ways, folk traditions, all sorts of lore. You're getting things like uh, places where you shouldn't go. Um, which is uh, ancient Celtic stuff. Um, there were certain rafts in ancient burial grounds, uh, ancient the sites of ancient tumuli where um, ancient Celts wouldn't go. And you're getting the same in places like uh, the Devil's Tramping Ground, and they all, all, all give them great names like the Devil's Courthouse, the Devil's Tramping Ground, mm. the Devil's uh, Hop Yard. Uh, places like that, where no sane person would go. So you're getting traditions of granny women, you're getting traditions of places where you shouldn't go, you're getting traditions of uh, things like second sight, um, and places like Massachusetts with uh, uh, the Quaker seeresses. Uh, you're getting traditions um, uh, of um, strange noises, I mean, for instance, there's a cairn um, up not too far where I am, uh, where it is believed that if you call in certain, uh, if you go up there on certain nights of the year, a voice will call out and tell you the name of the next person to die mm. in that community. You're getting exactly the same in in, in parts of um, New England. You're getting the idea of cures and charms. For example, one of the the most famous books from uh, America is George John, uh, John George Homan's uh, The Long Lost Friend. Now, Homan was uh, a minister who traveled uh, through uh, parts of Pennsylvania, uh, mainly among the Pennsylvanian Dutch, uh, and uh, lifted uh, charms and cures, but also among uh, Irish immigrants who were living there, and lifted charms and cures and how to banish burning. Now, I have actually seen uh, a granny woman uh, in, up near Asheville in North Carolina banishing a burning. Uh, and uh, that was um, when a guy had spilled coffee on his hand and had burned it severely, and she banished it. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, so uh, that's the sort of stuff I'm beginning to look at. Um, and visions of the dead, things like that. Oh, interesting. 
I wonder. I mean, this is probably completely unrelated, but and probably just due to lazy research on my half. But um, you're never lazy. <laughs> um, we have places in the UK, don't we, that have the Devil's X Y Z. You know, like we have the Devil's Either, Punch Bowl, either, yeah. and, yeah. and some of this all comes from old Celtic times. Ah. For instance, you have said you you were down in Cornwall. Cornwall is rich in those places, mm. and uh, there's stories of various hills. Which uh, I'm trying to think of the name, but I'll, I'll come to me as soon as I put the phone down. Um, they, uh, certain hills which are created by the devil who have thrown great lumps of, and they are uh, scary places to be. And there are people such as Pellers uh, who do exactly the same as the Granny women. And the most famous was in Cornwall was Thompson Blight in, in the mid 1800s. Mm. So you have that tradition all through um, um, Ireland, uh, Scotland, Wales, Cornwall, and in England itself. Mm. So you've got, because these were all, uh, before the coming of the Saxons, these were all Celtic countries, Mm. and and remained so far uh, into the medieval, and in many cases into the medieval period. Yeah, I mean, we've got, I mean, I live in Brighton, and we've got the Devil's Dyke, I think it is here. Oh, well, you have the Devil's Dyke, yeah. You have all sorts of things associated with the Devil, and if you uh, root around for a bit, you'll find some sort of legend that will try to explain that, because uh, basically what you're looking at whenever you're talking about this are explanations for why the way uh, things are the way they are. People will say to me, what's that old place down there called? Or you'll say to some old guy, what's that place down there? And he, he will have a story about it. Mm. And uh, possibly regarding fairies, possibly regarding witches, possibly regarding... And that was the way our ancestors summed up the work. And those old stories are very, very valuable. In fact, they're, they're part of, uh, of history. Uh, I would argue that they're just as important as some of the actual printed documents uh, because they tell us the way people saw the world and how the people made sense of the world Mm. and how the people interpreted the world around them and things which happened to them and things which they saw. Yeah, I think uh, people um, often don't realise the kind of the importance of the oral tradition back in old, you know, olden days, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Or- the, the oral tradition was very, very important. The problem with the oral tradition now is that it's dying out. And unless you can have it on computer or unless you can prove it. Now, um, for many old people, it didn't matter um, whether or not you could prove it or not. These were the, this was the way things were. Hmm. Uh, and uh, this was generally accepted and if a thing uh, is generally accepted it usually becomes uh, a folk wisdom or even a folk fact Hmm. Uh, so if you say there's a witch living down at uh, the foot of our lane uh, for you there is a witch there and if your community believes it then there certainly is a witch living there so that was the way in which the world was interpreted, that was the way in which the world was seen, uh, and that was the way in which simply the world was. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So quickly before we before we let you go, tell us a little bit about Dark Fairies as well, the book you're writing about Dark Fairies. Uh, well, uh, what prompted me with this, Ken, was that uh, everybody um, says, um, Walt Disney has a lot to answer for because whenever you think of fairies, 
uh, you think of Tinkerbell and um, things like that, and these wonderful little things all flitting through the trees mm. and doing good. Fairies were not like that. Uh, I was brought up in a remote area of County Down and where there was a belief in fairies, and f- people were terrified of them. Um, so we're beginning to look at what fairies are about, where the idea might have come from, mm. uh, whether they are, let's say, a race memory of an Aboriginal race which lived here, which were much smaller than ourselves, whether they were interpretations of things which happened, or whether they were simply fraud. And we look at things like the Cottingley fairies and uh, uh, things like that, which took in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, yeah. uh, creator of Sherlock Holmes, mm. uh, who was a great believer in them, but uh, were finally found out to be fakes. So we're looking at all that, and what sort of um, place do fairies have in our uh, in our history, and what place uh, do fairies have in our perceptions of the world? Yeah. And why do we say away with the fairies whenever we're talking about somebody who is uh, a bit strange? Ah, well, I look forward to that. I always look forward to your books, uh, Bob. There. Uh... They're always very well. I always think they're very well researched, and uh, it's <laughs> Thank nice. Thank you very much. We try our best. Yeah, excellent. Well, um, thanks a lot for coming on again, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate giving us giving us some of your time. And uh, again, like I say to quite a few of our guests, uh, we're going to have to have you back on again. <laughs> we will indeed, oh, and it's always a pleasure to come on, Ken. Excellent. Thank you, and thank you very much for that. Heroes number 19. Uh, this time around we have Black Satin vs. Subduction with Conquering Echo, uh, Barry Wait with The Day Nothing Happened, and Incog and Mr. Gone with Seven.
up on a sunny day, feeling like a runaway. Mr. Melancholy got the world has a funny way of beating people down in the midst of ascension. Don't even make a sound, found peace in intentions. A paragraph, grasp a pen and send some vibes. Gotta thank the Lord that the brother's still alive. Give a stretch and rub my eyes as the sun comes alive. Felt lucky enough just to touch 25. Hopped in the ride, going seeing shotgun, look to the skies. It's gonna be a hot one. I got some soul straight from the older bunch. Casimelli Mella, some of the colder ones. Carry on tradition, give a check, one, two. As the world turns, we earn respect with the crew. Peace to you and yours, I give a check, one, two. Send peace and blessings, keep it fresh and brand new. Walk, walk with a brother, can't wake you out your slumber. Seven's my number, one with the hunger. Under a bad sign, on top of a landmine. Send peace and blessings, bring it back and rewind. Come on, walk with a brother, can't wake you out your slumber. Seven's my number, one with the hunger. Under a bad sign, on top of a landmine. Send peace and blessings, bring it back and rewind. Come on and get down, son, we came to spread light. Volumes of the tan just to get my head right. Hip-hop is living, be acknowledged. Your history from other land drums to chief rock a busy bee. This is me, hot to death, sunlight in the flesh. Heart thumps rhythm, swimming in my chest. Blessed with vocals, oppressors in chokeholds. I'm so cold, homes I reside in the polar zones. Can't stop flowing, maintain the motion. Elijah Christ, what's your devotion? It really doesn't matter, son, as long as it's righteous. Sipping through the scriptures, sitting in the ciphers. I carry on tradition, give a check, one, two. As the world turns, we earn respect for the crew. Peace to you and yours, I give a check, one, two. Send peace and blessing, keep it fresh and brand new. Walk, walk with a brother, can't wake you out to slumber. Seven's my number, born with the hunger. Under a bad sign, on top of a landmine. Send peace and blessing, bring it back and rewind. Come on, walk with a brother, can't wake you out to slumber. Seven's my number, born with the hunger. Under a bad sign, on top of a landmine. Send peace and blessings, bring it back and rewind. I never sold drugs, son, no shame in my game. I'm not one to judge, but I am here to change. Societal fallacies to mastery of wordplay. Raise up the dead, all before Thursday. We party on Friday and rest on the seventh. Method is heavenly, bless the royal essence. Kings like Cog, don't come a dime a dozen. One love to Jones, that's my rhyming cousin. Yes, it's on sun like it's never been before. Perpetually at war with the cash carnivores. Yo, spark the sun too. The fight without fighting. Each one teach, we write without biting. I'm nice with the mic, I give a check, one, two. As the world turns, we earn respect for the crew. Peace to you and yours, I give a check, one, two. Send peace and blessing, keep it fresh and brand new. Walk, walk with a brother, can't wake you out to slumber. Seven's my number, born with the hunger. Under a bad sign, on top of a landmine. Send peace and blessing, bring it back and rewind. Come on, walk with a brother, can't wake you out to slumber. Seven's my number, born with the hunger. Under a bad sign, on top of a landmine. Send peace and blessing, bring it back and rewind. some more great music there thanks a lot uh, to bob curran for coming on the show again we always appreciate his time um that was a fantastic interview again he's just such a fantastic storyteller i think he's he, you can i i just find it fun just sitting back and listening to him uh, uh you know tell tell stories of the uh, the, the roots of these mythological beasts and uh, <laughs> or whatever you want to call them I've, i don't know personally I've, i always found it absolutely fascinating so uh, but anyway yeah thanks to bob um I was going to say, if you want to check out his books, uh, obviously you can go to Amazon and search for Dr. Bob Curran, but his, his latest book that we were discussing today is uh, Werewolves, a Field Guide to Shapeshifters, Lycanthropes and Man Beasts. 
He's uh, obviously written some other books. One we've reviewed on the site, which is Zombies, A Field Guide to the Walking Dead. And uh, I don't think he actually names them himself. I think yeah, I, th- I think he generally just calls them werewolves or zombies. Or And I think the uh, publishers tend to add a kind of a field guide to kind of thing to the end of it. So, uh, But uh, yes, but they're, they are great books and um, they really do give you a great insight into the kind of the history of these 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 beasts we know and love from uh, from the big screen and from books and stuff. So yeah, he's it's, it's a really interesting guy. And yeah, thanks once again to, to Bob. And I'm sure, like, like I always say, we'll have him back on soon. Oh yeah, we're going to be, obviously, we, I spoke a little bit about it in the last episode. We're going to be launching Sitting Now TV soon. And uh, the name might be a little bit deceptive in some ways. It's Sitting Now TV means that we're literally just going to be doing video. I know it's a bit of an internet thing to do, to throw the kind of old media name onto the... Uh, onto the end of these things so hence why we haven't called the show sitting now radio but uh <laughs> we might do though because it might confuse people once we start putting out the uh tv episode so i'll let you know about that shortly as well but yeah the idea of the show it isn't to replace the podcast the you know the audio show that we're doing that you're listening to now the idea of the show is that we want to you know we just fancy moving into the realm of video as well and it just gives us another excuse sometimes to get older guests back onto the show it also gives us an excuse to meet some of these people you know obviously because we'll have to be there with them and also um some of the uh, one thing we're going to try and do is um get the permission of certain groups that have you know old footage of uh of of interesting people talking about interesting subjects and uh let let us uh you know edit them and show them on uh you know via sitting now and yeah just make it kind of a, a video audio video repository of all things uh Countercultural, cultural, and underground, and which is what this website's all about. So, but yeah, I mean, if you want to get in contact with me, it's Ken at sittingnow.co.uk. It's S I W T I N G.co.uk because I know some people, I don't know, hear me say something differently, apparently. <laughs> but anyway, but if you want to follow us, the best way to find out, you know, when we post new stories to the site or new reviews is to uh, just keep an eye on Twitter. And we're on Twitter at sittingnow. We're also on MySpace, which is a good way to get in contact with us as well, which is uh, forward slash my, uh, sitting now, myspace.com forward slash sitting now. But yeah, so uh, thanks a lot for listening. As I'm, I'm hoping you're impressed that I managed to get an episode out a week after the last episode as well. That's, uh, that's uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, I'm not some kind of stoner who's <laughs> who sits at home not doing anything. But um, yes, we are going to try and get these out more often and I've said it in the past and we're actually you know, we're actually doing it so we're hoping to be back next week with Arthur Goldwag who's the author of Cults, Conspiracies and Secret Societies the straight, the, straight, the straight scoop on Freemasons the Illuminati Skull and Bones Black Helicopters and the New World Order so uh, that's going to be a really good interview Arthur's a he's a fantastic blogger I, you know, I, I think he was recently the guest editor at Boing Boing as well so uh, a man of worth definitely so uh, yeah hopefully we'll be back with that next week um, fingers crossed and uh, yeah I'll see you then bye bye